Ephesians chapter 5, please stand in the honor of reading God's word. I'll be reading from the ESV, that's the English Standard Version, but you follow along in your text and translation as I read from mine. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1, God says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or whose covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you're in the light in the Lord. So walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that's done in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Father, we thank you for this word, and God, as we speak from it, as we worship you through your word today, Father, may you open our hearts and minds to hear a word from you, for it's in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ we pray, and all of God's people said, please be seated. Today's message is entitled, Be Real. If you're taking notes, the title of this morning's message is Be Real, and I want to welcome those who are in attendance today and those who are watching uh, online through our telecast online. Welcome to our service this morning. As we begin to look at Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 17, there are three things that I believe that are very clear in the text. Three times he tells us to walk. He says to walk this way, walk this way, and walk this way. Three times he tells us to walk. And if we apply these walks to our life, we will be real as Christians. Number one, the first thing he tells us to walk in is to walk in love. To walk in love. Look back at your Bible. Keep your Bibles open to Ephesians 5 and look at verses 1 through 2. Walk in love. Therefore, he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Just as natural and and earthly uh, children, we want to imitate our earthly father, so should we as spiritual children want to imitate our, our heavenly father. The word imitate here comes from the word where we get our word mimic. It means to act like. Paul is simply arguing that that children act like their parents, a fact that can be both encouraging and also very embarrassing for at times for those of us who have children. Amen? Have you ever heard your kids say something, your child say something, and you kind of cringe, and you're like, I don't know if I want my child saying that? And then you and then you think <laughs> But then you think, sister, I say that and they got it from me, right? They they learn from us. They hear the good things, and they also pick up the bad things. They imitate us. And just as earthly children imitate their parents, we should be imitating God. How should we be imitating God? Uh, How can we imitate God? Well, Paul tells us right here in Ephesians 5, 2, that we are to imitate him in the walk of love. In the walk of love. God is love. The very nature of God is to love. And if we're going to be like our Heavenly Father, we must love the way God loved us. 
The idea here in verse 2, he talks about, look at it, he talks about a sweet savor, a fragrant offering of Jesus Christ. We don't have time to turn here because we have so much text to deal with here today in Ephesians 5. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write down Leviticus 1, 2, and 3. And go home and I want you to go back and read this. Because in Leviticus 1, 2, and 3, he talks about the sweet, savory sacrifice. He talks about the fragrant sacrifice. Uh, and, and Paul is pulling this out of Leviticus 1, 2, and 3. And he's equating this to Jesus Christ. So in Leviticus 1, 2, and 3, we find three different sacrifices, three different offerings. The burnt offering, the mill offering, and the, uh, the, 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 the peace offering. The burnt offering, the mill offering, and the peace offering. And what Paul is doing here is he's equating the, these three offerings to Jesus Christ. That's found in Leviticus 1, 2, and 3. The burnt offerings picture Jesus' complete devotion to God. The mill offering is his perfection of character. The peace offering is depicting uh, making peace, his making peace between sinners and God. And so he says that the walk of love, this walk of love, it's all about giving. It's all about sacrifice. It's about these offerings that Jesus made. Look again. Walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. He made peace with God. He brought uh, perfection of character for us. He, he brought us the ability to have devotion to God. These three offerings, he, he, we find fulfillment in Christ. And understand this. You cannot take another step in the Christian walk. You can't go to another dimension in the Christian walk if you don't first understand and gravitate and, and, and understand this idea of love. Love is the basic emotion. It's the basic concept of the Christian, right? Jesus himself said that the people will know that you are my followers because you have what? Love one for another. The, the, the very aspect, the very concept of Christianity is this idea of love. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. And the second is, is the same, to, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's all based out of love. We must choose to walk in love. And yes, love is something you choose to do. As we said a few weeks ago, you don't fall in love and fall out of love. It's not like you're walking down the street and you fall in a hole and say, oh, I fell in love. No. That's lust. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment. Love is a choice and love is a commitment. God chose to love us. And not only did he choose to love us, he is committed to love us, right? Am I wrong? John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world. And the love of God, understand this, the love of God is different from the love that, that you and I show apart from God. Our love is based upon conditions, isn't it? I will love you if you do this for me. Or I will love you if you love me back. That's not how God's love is. Our love is based on conditions, but God's love is unconditional. He said, I love you no matter what. You don't have to love me in return. In fact, I will love you unconditionally to love someone, even if they don't love you in return. To love as Jesus loves. And this is what we're called to do. If we're going to be real in life, we've got to stop being haters and start being lovers. We've got to stop hating on people that, and, and, and to love them. That doesn't mean you've got to like them, right? The Bible doesn't say that you have to have a meal with everybody, but it says that we're to love them. To love them with the compassion and the love and the heart that, that God has. And so we are to love people. So as we begin this walk of life, as we are trying to be real in the Christian faith, we have to walk in love, but number two, we have to walk in light. The second thing that he tells us here in Ephesians 5 that we are to walk in is to walk in light. If you jump down and look at verse 8, and we'll look at verses 
3 through 7 in just a moment. I know a lot of you are saying, I hope the preacher skips over verses 3 through 7 today. Those verses aren't good to talk about. Well, we have to hit them. We have to talk about them. We'll get back to those in just a moment. But in verse number 8, I want us to see the second walk he tells us, and then he describes it up earlier in verses 3 through 7. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. The second time he says here in this, this passage to walk. He first of all says walk in love. Now he says to walk in light. What's he saying here in verses 3 through 14 is contrasting the walk of light and the walk of darkness. He says, if you walk in light, walking in light is not walking in lust. Walking in light is not walking in lust. He's showing the difference between walking in light as walking in purity and walking in darkness is walking in immorality, walking in impurity. So he begins to tell us, he, he begins to give us some negative things. He tells us walking in light is not this, 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 and this. He says, first of all, walking in light is not immorality. Look back at verse 3. Walking in light is not immorality. The immorality mentioned here in these verses deal with a sexual nature. In fact, the word verse 3 that, he find, that we find here, this word fornication, it's the Greek word porneo, where we get our word uh, pornography from, porn. It refers to any kind of sexual immorality, whether that's premarital, extramarital, homosexual. It refers to any kind of immorality, including sexual perversions of all kind. And he says this kind of lifestyle, this kind of lifestyle pollutes and destroys what God has said is good. The relationship that God created between a husband and a wife is good and pure. What occurs between a husband and a wife, God says that is good and that is pure. Now I'm going to have to dance around this subject because I see smaller children in here and I want to be very careful about what I say. I don't want to teach your kids the birds and the bees today. So I'm going to dance around. So I need the adults to put on your thinking caps with me, okay? When God created this institution of marriage, he gave something that's very good to, that is to, that, that is to be uh, performed for a husband and a wife, but that is only be, to be done in the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. This type of relationship, is, it's how it's supposed to be. And anything that happens outside of the marriage relationship that, that God says, this is what you do as husband and wife, when that occurs outside of the marriage relationship in any form or any fashion, it's sin. If it's an extramarital affair, it's sin. If you're single and you're sleeping with someone, it's sin. Anything that happens outside the confines of marriage in a sexual way is sin. And there's so many perversions of what God has ordained, isn't there? All these perversions are sinful. They're immoral. Homosexuality is sinful. It's immoral. Adultery is sinful. It's immoral. Unbiblical divorce, and I make a caveat, unbiblical, because the Bible does give a few occasions for divorce to happen, but unbiblical divorce is sinful. It's immoral. You know, a fire that is placed in a fireplace, it creates warmth and beauty and atmosphere. A fire that's in a fireplace is, is good. It's beautiful. It's warm. But as soon as you get that fire out of the fireplace in the living room, it will destroy. It'll destroy. Again, going back to our illustration. When in a marriage relationship, what's done in the bedroom, that's a good thing. When the fire is in the fireplace, it's a good thing. But it's when the fire gets out of the bedroom that it begins to destroy. When it is not what God intended it to be, that's when it destroys. And you better believe me, listen, you better believe me that the fire will burn. It will get you. 
God has given us a beautiful place, a beautiful expression of, of love and life, and it's through sharing uh, this life with a, a another person, your soulmate, a, a person of the opposite sex that you have married to and you're married with, and you're to share this life through the act of marriage. And he's very clearly told us that anything that pollutes that, it destroys, is forbidden. Listen, the seventh commandment of the Bible is still there. It's still right. And as we consider, we say, well, what's so wrong with letting people do what they want to do? It doesn't hurt you, preacher. It doesn't hurt you if, if I'm a single and I'm going up and shacking up with people who aren't my spouse. It doesn't hurt if, if, I'm, if I'm living with somebody that's not my wife or my husband. I mean, aren't we supposed to go around and kick the tires? If you think the person you're dating is, is living with you and you think that they're a car and you're just kicking the tires, you've got a lot bigger problem than what we're talking about here today. Yes, there is a problem with it. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. The problem with accepting these immoral behaviors is it takes what God said is holy, what God said is pure. God created this. He created this act between a man and a woman, and it's a good thing. But when we take it outside of what God said is good, and we do it in, in other ways and other forms, it's not good. And we're saying what God created to be pure and holy is now we're making it unholy and impure and immoral. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's why it's sin to perform sexual acts outside of the confines of marriage. It's not love. I'm sorry, it's not love. Biblical God love. It's lust. God says, don't let it be. Don't let it happen. He said, walking in light. If you are children of light, don't walk this way. Don't walk in immorality. Don't walk in this this sexual way. Then he says, it's not impurity. Not only is it not immorality, but it's also not impurity. Verse 3, 4, and also 6 and 7. He's telling us very clearly in no uncertain terms that, that immorality is not to be in our lives. Immorality is not to be in our lives. And again, this is dealing with a sexual nature. Immorality is not to be in our lives, but also impurity is not to be on our lips. When he speaks of impurity, he's speaking of what we say, what we talk about. He said, don't let anyone confuse you or deceive you with empty talk on the subject. What does he mean by that? Here's what he's saying, and I know what's going through some of our heads and hearts right now. Well, it doesn't matter how I live my life. It doesn't matter what I say because I'm a Christian and all I have to do is ask for forgiveness and God will forgive me anyway, right? Doesn't that even make the grace of God grow stronger and stronger? Paul deals with this in the book of Romans and he says here in Ephesians 5, he says, that's empty talk. You as a believer of all people, you who are walking in the light, you don't tempt God, you don't test God, you don't put God to the test. That's what Jesus said to to Satan when Satan tempted him. You don't put God to the test. You don't walk through sin and just say, well, if I sin, all I'm going to do is live in sin and God's just going to forgive me. And it makes the grace of God abound. God loves to forgive. And so the more I sin, the more God loves me because that means he's going to forgive me even more. Paul said that's empty talk. He said you don't live your life that way. You don't live your life in darkness that way. That's empty talk. Don't let immorality be named among you, he says. Don't even discuss. He says this. He says, don't even discuss these things. He talked about filthy talk. That's gutter talk of the world. He talks about foolish talk here. Look at it. 
He said, let there be no filthiness. That's foolish talk. And then he says foolish talk. That word foolish talk there in the Greek is where we get our word moron from. Yes, the word moron is in the Bible, and it's right here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. He says, don't talk like a moron. Don't talk like a fool. These things that are contrary to God's word. He, he says, he talks about coarse jesting, which is innuendo. Taking something that is pure and holy and, and making it and suggesting a, a sexual kind of joke. Guys, a lot of the jokes that are told around the water cooler when, when the women aren't around, the innuendos and the jokes, he says there's, there should be no place in the Christian's mouth for that. He said there's, there's no place to joke that way. You say, well, it's only a joke. But listen, if you speak of things that are ungodly or off color, you're not representing the God that you claim to serve. You can't walk in light and darkness at the same time. You say, well, it's just a joke. I'm just doing it to, 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 to make people laugh. But you know what's wrong with talking and using sexual language and pure language and, and speaking impure things? You know what the problem is? Is you are trivializing what God said is sacred. God said this is pure, this is sacred, and you're, you're demoralizing it. You're trivializing it. You're, you're making it worthless. You're trivializing the holy act, and it makes you vulnerable and susceptible and numb to those kinds of acts. This is why Paul said, don't even talk about it. Because it's very dangerous. If you laugh at something enough, it it desensitizes your heart. If you laugh at something enough, it desensitizes you. You can laugh at sin to the point to where you, you become numb to sin's grasp. Think about what Hollywood's done and the homosexual lifestyle that has been now pervasive in our culture. How did that begin? Look back at time and look at the TV Watch these sitcoms that come on and, and we begin to laugh at, at, at the gay guy. We begin to laugh at the lesbian. We begin to laugh at him. And, and even though a part of us were like, ah, that's not right. But what they were saying was funny. So we laughed. And, and as we've laughed over the past two decades at this, we've now, our culture has now said, you know what? I, I, I've laughed at it. And we've become so desensitized to it that, that we don't even see it as sin anymore. You see, that's why it's so important for us, why Paul says here, you, you don't coarse joke, you don't make innuendos, you don't, you don't speak the way the world does, because when you begin to do that, it does something to your soul. It does something to your heart. Paul is crystal clear here that we are to read and we are to watch and we are to talk, not about immoral escapades of others or even more. There is to be no obscenity. No cursing, no foolish talk or coarse joking, that, and no matter how funny it is. If this is any part of your life, you're playing with fire. You're playing with fire. Now, I love to joke. I love to laugh. I would much rather laugh than, than to cry. In fact, laughing burns more calories than crying. So a great weight loss is to laugh. You want to burn calories? Laugh. You want to get skinny? Laugh. But it's proper for us to laugh at the right things, to laugh at the God. God created laughter. The preacher in Ecclesiastes said there's a time to laugh. Laughing is a good thing. God created laughter. But be careful what you laugh at. Be careful what you listen to. 
And so many of us, we look at the Bible, we say, the Bible is just full of lists of no's. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And, and I'm getting tired of saying, don't, 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 don't. What am I supposed to do? Listen, oftentimes in God's word, when he says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, he comes back and, and we get our mind focused on the no's and the don'ts and we completely miss the positive. And right here he says, don't live in immorality, don't live in impurity. But he said, I want you to live this way. Look back at your Bible. Look back at your Bible, verse 4, Ephesians 5, verse 4. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be what? Thanksgiving. He said, don't do this. Don't live in immorality. Don't live in impurity. Don't speak impure things. Instead, I want you to live with thanksgiving. You see, we're not to be repressive. We're not to joke about these things that God said is pure and holy. We're not to to joke about sexuality. Instead, Christians are not to be repressive about it. Instead, we are to give highest respect. We're to say, God, thank you for this gift. God, thank you for the confines of marriage. God, thank you for what you have told us that that we have. and, And Thanksgiving preserves it. He said, don't walk in immorality. Don't walk in impurity. He also said, don't walk in idolatry. Verse 5. One thing that I've noticed and one thing that you see in Scripture over and over and over, immorality and impurity always leads to idolatry. Immorality and impurity always leads to idolatry. Go back and look. Every time the children of Israel fell in idolatry, it's because of either an immoral thing that they were doing or an impure thing that they were saying. It came out of, it came out of an immoral heart or it came out of impure speech. And immorality and impurity always leads to idolatry. God said this. Verse 5. Verse 5 is a difficult verse. One of the most difficult verses in the Bible. Not difficult in the way that it's hard to understand. Actually, it's the most straightforward verse in the whole Bible. This message is repeated over and over and over again through Scripture. But it's difficult. It's difficult because for our politically correct, we don't keep score. Everybody wins a trophy. My way is just as good as your way culture. It's hard for us to grab a hold and say that things are black and white this way. But notice what he says in verse 5. He says, For you can be sure of this, be certain of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, period. Wow. That's a pretty bold statement. What does that mean? That means... That anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. It's very straightforward. You say, well, that means that any person that participates in that lifestyle is not saved? Well, that's a good possibility. Now, it's entirely possible for a saved Christian to fall off the wagon. It happens to the best of us. As we look at the, the prodigal son, the prodigal son had everything in his grasp, and yet he, he took off for a far country. But what we notice is that a Christian, a, two, a true believer, will always return back to the Father. There will be a conviction that sets in while you live in sin. You may make life, sin a lifestyle for you, but if you are a believer in Christ, at some point in your journey in sin, you will return back to the Father. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You say, well, what if a person lives in this lifestyle and there's no remorse and there's no conviction? First of all, understand this. I am not the Holy Spirit of God. I am not God. Praise the Lord. I don't want that job. I can't tell you whether you're saved or lost. All I can do is say, well, this is what the scripture says. Thus saith the Lord. 
And the Lord says that if you continue to live in this lifestyle, you're not saved. A a saved person who has stepped into the light cannot continue to walk in immorality, speak impurity, follow idols, and not at some point receive conviction for it and come back to the Father. He's not talking about perfection of lives either. He's not saying that you have to live perfect and every time you, you sin and you mess up, you've got to get resaved. No, the scripture is very clear. Once you're saved, you're always saved. The scripture is also very clear that you're going to fall. You're going to mess up. You're going to make a dumb move. You're going to speak like a moron sometimes. But when you do that, you confess that. It doesn't make you lost. It doesn't make you less a child of God. But you confess it right then. You repent. That means you stop living that way. Do you know how a sin becomes a lifestyle? Through repetitiveness. How do you become an addict? Repetitiveness. And once you get in a repetitive nature, it's very hard to break an addiction. No matter what addiction that is. But a lifestyle that is set on addiction to something other than being an addict for God... Is wrong, it's immoral, it's impure. And you've got to get out of that lifestyle. That lifestyle that is spiraling downward, downward, downward. You've got to stop. You've got to repent. You can't do that in your own power. But through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, He will give you the strength. He will give you the ability to take it day by day, step by step. And before you know it, you're going to look back and you're going to say, Look, I've left that lifestyle. That's not what defines me. I'm no longer defined by that. Why? Because you're walking in the light. He's not talking about perfection of the believer. He's talking about the direction of the believer. He's not talking about perfection. He's talking about direction. Where are you pointed? Now, there's sometimes that we get our eyes off the direction that we should be going. He's not talking about perfection. He's not not saying that you have to be perfect. Yes, that's the standard. That's what we should achieve. That's what we're striving for. But we're not going to achieve it this side of glory. He's not talking about perfection. He's talking about direction. Where's your eyes? Where's your gaze? Every time you get your eyes off the Lord, you get your eyes on something else, it's going to lead to immorality or impurity, which is ultimately going to lead to idolatry. When you start allowing that sin to take hold, what you as a believer need to do is get your eyes back on God as soon as you can. Let go of that impurity. Let go of that immorality. Let go of those idols. Break those idols. That's why I've said over and over and over again, sir, if there's a little hot thing at work that you're, you're flirting with and she ain't your wife, you need to find a new job. If she's flirting with you even more, you need to get a new job. You say, I was there first. I don't care. Is your marriage worth losing? If you have a problem with pornography, take your computer out of your house and take a baseball bat and go to town. I'm not joking. I'm serious. I'm serious. Why is that? That, That's how important sin, the, the rejection of sin must be. You play with fire long enough, you're going to get burnt. You play with fire long enough. Fire in in the fireplace is a great thing. But when you allow it out of the fireplace, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get burnt. And listen, when you fall, it hurts more than just you. It hurts your spouse. It hurts your kids. It hurts your parents. It hurts everyone. No one wins when sin is when sin seems to win. Everyone loses. Everyone loses. 
To put it plainly this morning, I don't believe that everybody here today is saved. I believe there are some people here searching. There are some people here that believe that their salvation is tied to going to church or being a good person or trying to, trying to achieve this, this, this state of nirvana. And you're, you're trying to do more than, more good things than bad things. And maybe, just maybe, when you pass from this earth, God's going to let you into his heaven. It doesn't work that way. You're walking in darkness. The Bible says very clearly, today is the day of salvation. You need to give your heart and life to the Lord. If impurity and immorality dominate your life, if idolatry, if you, if you are serving idols, and this is not talking about some idol that you create. An idol can be, can be a person. An idol can be money. An idol can be fame. If you have an idol in your heart, you don't have Christ in your heart. You need to reject that. You need to be saved, and you need to do it today. What are you waiting for? He said, don't walk in impurity, don't walk in immorality, don't walk in idolatry. He said, but I want you to walk in integrity. That's verses 8 through 14. Walk in integrity. C.S. Lewis said, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one's watching. Integrity. Did you hear that? Integrity is doing the right thing when nobody is watching. Jesus said, let your light so, uh, so, so shine in the world. Walk in light. Light purifies. The light of Jesus Christ, when it's shining in your life, it produces integrity. Zig Ziglar, a dear friend of mine who's in heaven now, uh, he, he once said, he said, with integrity, you have nothing to fear because you have nothing to hide. With integrity, you have nothing to fear because, frankly, you have nothing to hide. In the purity of, of the light, in the purity of the light of Christ, we are to expose the works of darkness. This is what he says here. He says, you expose that which is in the dark. Now, that doesn't mean that you go running around and you're, you're, you're God's little sin detective. And you've got, you know, you got your spyglass, and when you see sin, you go, oh, you sin. And then you come over here, oh, you sin. Jesus said about that person, before you begin to look at the speck in your brother's eye, you need to worry about the log that's in your own. This is not what Paul says. Paul says when he says expose the darkness, he's not saying be a Pharisee here. He's saying let your light shine. You're walking in light. As you're walking in light, allow the love and the light of Christ, the witness of the gospel, expose the wrongness and the emptiness in others. Live your life in such a way. Let your light shine so bright. You know, we, we as, as Christians, we, we, are, we are walking flashlights. We are the light. We are the light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He said, you are. He also called us the light of the world as well. And oftentimes we congregate together, don't we? We like, to, 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 we like our lights to get with other lights. And we just like to have a light party. But he said, don't do that. He said, get out from all the other lights and go out in the darkness and so your light can shine in the darkness. That doesn't mean, again, for you to go and live like the world and go and live like hell because I've got the light in me. I can go to the bar or I can smoke this or I can inject this. I, I'm just doing it because my friends are doing it. I'm trying to win them to Jesus. He said, that's empty talk. You don't go into sin to bring somebody to the gospel. You let your light so shine in that while they're sinners, they see Christ in you. And you notice, notice, if you're wondering if the light is shining in you, he gives you three things right here. He said, if the light's in you, look at it. Verse number nine. He said, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. If you're wondering if the light is in you, if you're wondering if you're saved... 
can you say that your walk, that your life is characterized by goodness, righteousness, and truth? Those of us who are saved are going to be characterized by goodness, righteousness, and truth. What do we need? What does this mean? Goodness. Goodness is love and action. It always comes back to love, doesn't it? Always comes back to love. Goodness is love and action. Do you portray love? Righteousness, it means rightness of character before God and rightness of action before others. Righteousness, the rightness of character before God and my rightness of actions before others. Goodness, righteousness, and then truth. Goodness and righteousness leads us to truth. To be honest. Be truthful. To speak the truth in love. You'll understand the word and the will of God. Walk in love. Walk in light. Finally, he says, walk in wisdom. Verses 15 through 17. Walk in wisdom. Actually, verses 14 through 15 are connected in in the Greek. Uh, Verse 14, it talks about, Peter's talking about Christians that are asleep. He's saying that you're sleepwalking. He says, wake up, open your eyes, make the most of the day. Honestly, it's very sad to see that most of the Christians today, they, they just drift through life. It's like Christians are in cruise control. You're, you're sleepwalking through life. And Paul here, he says, wake up, O sleeper, arise from the dead. You're, you're, you're walking through life. You're, you're, don't you see what's going on around you? You're, you're to be walking in love. You're to be walking in life. So you need to walk in wisdom. Wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. You say, how do I walk in wisdom? He tells us right here two things, if you do. Verse 16, we walk in wisdom of our time. In our our use of time. Verse 16, make use. He says, making the best use of time. Because the days are evil. Everybody has the same number of hours in the day. We all have 24 hours in the day. How do you use your time to glorify God? How do you use the time that God has given to you? Do you use your time wisely or foolishly? Do you use your time to walk in wisdom, to walk in light, to walk in love? Or are you using your time selfishly? He says, if you're going to make a difference in, in, this, in, in this country, in this world, in, 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 in this time that you find yourself in, you're going to have to wake up and use your time wisely. Not squandering your time, but making good use of it. Why? He tells us. Again, verse 16, look at it. Because the days are growing evil. Literally, he's saying it's getting worse and worse and worse. Can't you see that today? Can't you see that what Paul says right here is so true? Are things getting better in our country or worse? They're getting a whole lot worse. And listen, they're going to get even more worse. As time goes on and the Lord tarries, things are going to get worse. Why? Because the days are evil. And because there's so much darkness out there, we need to be good stewards of the time that God has given us, the 24 hours in the day, to use for His glory to shine the light in that darkness. How do you discover the will of God? That's number two. Number one, how, do you, how are you wise? You use your time wisely. Number two, walking in wisdom means that you discover and you do the will of God. Verse 17, understanding here. The word understanding in verse 17, it means to discover and to understand and to do, perform the will of God. How do you understand? How do you discover? How do you perform the will of God? He tells us in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, is through the transformation of the mind. When you submit your will and you submit your mind to the things of Christ, when you allow the word of God to come in and transform you through prayer, through meditation, through worship. Now, I'm, I'm of the opinion that 
most Christians have zero clue what God's will is for your life. I truly believe that. I believe that some people believe that the will of God, I think that you can give me the Great Commission. And if I were to ask you what is God's will for your life, you would say Matthew 28. To go make disciples, to, to see lost saved, to see the saved disciple. And I say, yeah, that's, that's actually very good. That's the will of God for everybody. What, what's God's will for you? You understand that God created you unique with a purpose in mind, a plan in mind. And I don't care how young or how old you are, you have a purpose and a plan in God's will. This is something, and I'm not speaking off the cuff here, this is something that I have been burdened with for months, almost a year now. This is something that has kept me awake at night. This is something, this is something that, that uh, a burden that God has placed on my heart that has caused me to weep for I don't know how many hours. The idea... The idea that so many of, of us, and I'm just speaking to us right now because it's the church, but so many of us have no clue, no concept about what God's will is for you. And honestly, I believe that's why we're in the pickle and the mess that we're in right now. Because most Christians, they want to do something. They want to contribute. They just don't know how. They don't know what to do. We're, we're good people. We just, we don't want to sit on the sidelines, but, but life is so messy and I got so much other stuff going on and, and, and preacher, I, I want to be a part, but, but frankly, I don't know what piece of the puzzle and where I go. I don't know if I'm a border piece or an inside piece. I don't know. Well, you need to discover where you fit in. And as I've been praying and praying and praying and weeping and weeping and weeping about this, God has given me a very clear direction. Something that I hope that our church gravitates toward and takes very seriously. This fall, we're going to be entering into a, a spiritual renewal. I believe that what we're facing is a spiritual problem. If what we were facing was a physical problem, then we would meet it with a physical answer. But because we're facing a spiritual problem, the way you correct a spiritual problem is with a spiritual answer. And so beginning in October of this year... I'm going to challenge the church and we're going to walk together, hand in hand, arm in arm, 50 days, seven weeks through a biblical fast. We did this three years ago, but that was for a different purpose and a different reason. The purpose of the fast and the, the time, the spiritual time of renewal that I'm praying that, that God will speak to our hearts together through October and November. Trust me, trust me, it's something that you'll want to be a part of. For seven weeks walking through this, I'm actually, the reason why I'm not preaching and teaching on Wednesday nights right now is because I'm spending the majority of my time writing a book for this purpose. We're going to sell the book for very cheap, probably five bucks, and, and all the proceeds, I'm not receiving a dime, all the proceeds that we're selling this book for is going to go to Aloma 2020. Every dime, every penny. But this is going to be a legit book that you're going to be able to hold in your hand and you and your wife and your spouse and your kids are going to be able to walk through this. We're going to preach through the book of Nehemiah and we're going to walk together. We're going to fast together. We're going to pray together. We're going to search and ask, what is God's will for my life and how does that work and how does that fit in the life of a Loma church? My prayer, my prayer is that we rise to the occasion. Because here's what I know. Here's what I know. 
God is about to do something big. What he's about to do, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just have within my spirit that, he, that, that he's just about to do something. But he's not going to do something until we first do something. And he's not asking us to do a lot. He's asking us to open our hearts, open our hands, to be an empty vessel and say, God, fill me, use me, point me, show me, walk in light, walk in love, walk in wisdom.